It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. September 11th marks the 20th anniversary of the World Trade Center attacks. Today's guest, Lisa Luckett, lost her husband on that day, leaving her a single mother of three. Lisa survived the unimaginable and learned to face any experience head-on, choosing to see the silver lining in all situations. Lisa is a life coach, speaker, and CEO of Cosmina Enlightened Living, a brand of kindness. She is the author of the book, The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Joan. Thanks so much for having me. So, Lisa, for me, this is a special show for any of us around the country, but particularly for those of us in the New York, New Jersey region. It's hard to believe that it's been 20 years since that attack. In some ways, it feels like it was yesterday, but in others, it it feels like an eternity. And so today, I want to learn about your experience that day and in the years following. And I want to talk a bit about your husband, Teddy, who we lost that day. So, Let's start off by talking about what that day was like for you. What were you doing before you learned about the attack? So I had just taken my daughter, Jen, to second grade. She was not feeling well, so we went a little late. And I had my four-month-old on my shoulder and my four-year-old uh, walking in the door with me while the, and the phone was ringing. It's about five minutes to nine. When I picked up, a friend of mine said to me, Lisa, what tower is Teddy in? And I said, the one on, with the antenna on it. Why? And she said, and I quote, well, turn on the TV because a plane just hit it and took off the top 15 floors. She didn't ask me what floor he was on. He was on the 105th floor, two stories from the top. So what she had basically told me was that he was on the ground and he was dead. The first beginning of the misinformation that followed in 9-11. So I, in the moments that I ran to turn the television on, I was so relieved to see the building still standing. But I also, in a very strange way, had a very different experience of 9-11 than probably anyone when I think about it, because this odd history prepared me for that morning in a way I would never have expected. First point being that he walked down from the first explosion in 1993 from the same offices. And in those, those, that explosion, you couldn't see smoke anywhere. It was, there was no smoke outside of the buildings. So when I saw that black, thick, billowing smoke below him, I knew he was gone. But your mind won't necessarily receive it. And the reason I knew that was because when he got home the first time in 93, he was so covered in soot that the shower ran black for like five minutes. And that had, you know, so that clearly the smoke was a huge problem. So the, the second piece, so as that day progressed, um, when the initial shock took me to my couch, right, we, my sons and I together watched the second plane of the second building. And I don't know how long it was when I kind of woke up from my shock stupor and with this understanding that I had to function, that I had three children and I had to get them through this. And that began began a journey that has taken me to this conversation with you today. 
So when you first turned on the television and you saw that the plane hit the tower, from that moment on, did you have any communication with Teddy at all? No, he had, um, he, he, I believe that they were in an early sales meeting. I knew they were, and they were in the southwest corner of the building, and the plane actually, if you look at the trajectory, came up underneath them. Mm-hmm. So no one from his group was ever heard from, which in a way I've always been peaceful with because it's never been final to me. Like I, my experience of, which is the long short story here, is that it was a very spiritual experience for me that I knew he was with me that whole time. And that morning, uh, about 11 o'clock in the morning, when my house was full of people and both buildings had already fallen and the dead people were just stunned that I had shifted into this very surreal place. And I was observing us all. And I was in this very calm, clear place for two other reasons. Not only had I had the experience of terrorism already, and I got angry the first time in 93 when no one else cared and they swept it under the rug and everyone went back to normal and disregarded it completely. So eight years later, big surprise, we get hit again. But the second piece was that his, my mother-in-law, who was kind of a tortured soul and enjoyed torturing me, basically told me every time I saw her that he was going to die of a heart attack for the 11 years we were married uh, because he was a little overweight and he was stressed out and working a Wall Street job and just, in her opinion, didn't take care of himself. So what that did was made me run his death through my mind over and over and over again until I would be weeping in the middle of the night with him laying next to me. And here's the epitaph of that. We bought as much life insurance as we could afford. I knew where all the important documents were and made sure we went to bed having righted any wrongs so there wouldn't be regret and I let it go. So that by the morning of 9-11, with that preparation, with the idea that he'd gone down, he'd already walked down and I'd dealt with terrorism before, with the fact that I'd already run his death through my mind. It was like the other shoe dropped and I bounced. So here I was, I was also a nursing mother of a four month old and nature doesn't let you go down. So here I find myself in this very clear, calm place where I could observe what was going on. Well, I remember reading an article you had written many years ago and I remember reading it and you describe that you were watching the tower go down and you calmly said goodbye Teddy you just described in an, in a very intellectual way the events of the day but where did you get that strength to say that goodbye to him yeah, that's a great question I don't know mm-hmm. you know I think that it was so clear to me in my experience of it he was gone and it was like living it was like living in a movie script Joan the whole thing when I look at it now, and yeah, it's super intellectualized 20 years later and, you know, years of therapy and years of study and years of anthropology and sociology and all the pieces that go into why we're talking today, which is where are we 20 years later? What has happened since 9-11 on this 20th anniversary, which is the ultimate conversation. But yeah, I think I was just in the moment, literally with him in the moment. And I think, Lisa, that goodbye for your healing I think that was really important because so many people, you know, they talk about this word closure. I I don't know if you ever get that, but so many people who experienced that day with you, they never got to see their loved one again, and they never got to do that emotional, spiritual goodbye. And And I think that moment probably saved you. Well, and you can add to that the fact that we had like the biggest fight of our marriage the night before, <laughs> so, uh-huh. you know, but, but when he walked out the door the next day, he said to me, I said to him, I love you. You are my soulmate. And he said, I love you too. And that's the last time I saw him. 
So literally, when I say a movie script, it really was. So that saying goodbye when he when the building fell, I mean, it was just. I don't know. I believe truly I was guided through all of it in in such a spiritual, higher power way. I mean, it, that morning when my house was full of people and I could feel their pain and I could feel my own. Like not only had my husband most likely died, you know, in my mind, I we still held out hope, of course, but you're, you know. And, you know, I was – my country had been attacked. So I'm a patriot like anyone else. And I – so I was in that experience. But what I recognized so importantly, which I was a huge pivot in my life, was that people wanted to help me because they were projecting the idea of that loss if it had been them, right? There but for the grace of God. So, you know, they wanted to help me so much, so much, so much. And the truth was there was nothing anyone could do. But what I heard in that moment was, Lisa, let them help you, which almost killed me, Joan, because I'm I'm a product of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I am woman. Hear me roar. I, am, you know, I don't need help. I don't want help. I can do it all. So it almost killed me. But I let go and I surrendered my ego. And in that moment of surrender, I was literally overwhelmed by these feelings of gratitude and humility and grace and this love that came with it instantaneously. And that was at like 11 o'clock in the morning. And I could feel Ted behind. I, feel, I could feel these what felt like hands behind me holding me up. I know that sounds crazy, mm-hmm. but you're, I, I literally was just in the experience, and I just did what I trusted myself to do. And I knew very clearly, very quickly, it could have been so much worse. It could have been 1230 in the afternoon like it was in 1993, and those buildings could be full. And we could have lost literally tens of thousands of more people that our world had just shifted on, the, on its axis, that nothing would be the same again. And that it would be three year, two years to a new normal, a word I had never heard in my, an expression in my life before. What was a new normal 20 years ago? What does that even mean? So what that told me was put your head down and go. Do what's in front of you. All you care about is all it meant to me was getting my kids through this, like navigating them through this maelstrom. That fierceness, that warrior, but it was a warrior of love. I was never angry. I didn't get angry at the terrorists again. I got angry in 93. It just never happened. It wasn't something I willed or intellectually thought about at all. It just, I cared about getting my kids through what was going to be this incredible chaos for years ahead of me. And I could just, I knew it. I just knew it. So that day, it's in all of our minds. The attention, it, you know, it comes and it goes, but now all eyes will be focused on that once again. With that attention... What do you want us all to know? What is your message to the families and also to everyone in our country? What do you want us to know about that day? There's many ways I'd like to answer that, Joan. Mm -hmm. Um, The first one that comes to mind is that maybe we need to look at this in a new light. Maybe 9-11 actually opened the world. Maybe 9-11 is actually a birth canal to a new order. And as weird as that seems and sounds, think about it. It 24-hour cable news had only become a thing with the Gulf War in 1991 with CNN. It was in its infancy. Cable in itself was in its infancy. The the Internet was maybe 1993, thereabouts, also in its infancy. And then you get the attacks on 9-11, which affect 80 countries lost people in the towers and in the Pentagon and Shanksville. So all of a sudden you have a media-feeding frenzy that's global and worldwide that everyone had an hour plus time to turn on in their own homes and witness happening in real time. 
there will never, I will say this, maybe people say that, never say never, but I believe you will never have, and excuse the expression, a home run like that, that terrorists hit it out of the ballpark. We will never be that naive again. The world watched a world's truly a world stage. And at the same time as technology started to take off and 9-11 literally opened the world in that way. So what do you want us to take from that, Lisa? Well, what I want to take from it is the idea that we need to look at it because I don't believe we've done anything but be victimized by it for 20 years. We haven't had time to heal. We haven't put our attention toward the emotional healing that was very much needed because everything was beautiful in the two years that followed, right? The unity, the patriotism, all the social walls came down. People loved each other. The love was palpable. And then they cleaned up the site in a record amount of time. It was supposed to take two years. It took nine months. And all of a sudden, the mission was over. And we went back to where we were, but we were further down the spectrum of fear. And as humans, we are naturally fearful. We're, creatures, you know, we're, we're animal, mammal creatures. We have fear as a base. That fear was now on an exponential level with terrorism, and it lodged in at a cellular level. And I believe it started an emotional spin that created a centrifugal force, an emotional centrifugal force that we all watched as those buildings fell, it began to spin. And in that spin, it pushed on everyone so that where we were broken emotionally, we broke further. And I experienced it in both sides of our families because they were already dysfunctional and they exploded and got so much worse, never, never recovered. And I could see it on a, on a macro level with other people in society. And we can, you know, there's a whole other conversation in that. But what I would like to have people take from it at the 20th anniversary is a shift in perspective. To look, to shift, to decide that we need to look at not only the things 9-11 and shift away from finger pointing and blame instead and maybe see our part in what we look like on the world stage. So... Until we spin and we start to look at things just from a different point of view, not saying it's right or wrong, we can't loosen the knot that we are so now constricted in after 20 years of collective trauma that is now bookended by starting with 9-11 and ending with COVID. Two collective traumas that changed the world. And in between them all was what? Countless hurricanes, tornadoes, fires, and countless shootings. So man-made and mother nature we have not been able to come up for air. So maybe what COVID was, was Mother Nature's way of, of giving us a timeout to catch our breath. And one of the analogies I just want to share is in those early days after 9-11, I had this image of a stagecoach barreling down a mountainside, you know, out of control because the driver let go of the reins. We went crazy. We went to war within a week. But the point is, we've never picked the reins back up. And maybe COVID was a way of literally saying, whoa, slow down. Let's look at this. Let's Take an, take an assessment of where we are. So, Lisa, you just mentioned the things that we've experienced in the past 20 years, culminating with COVID. And in those period, in that period of time, people have suffered financial devastation, loss of loved ones, death, and, and then everything else that we go through, empty nest, divorce, you name it. And we're all grieving something in one form or another. I mean, 9-11 was, you talk about the granddaddy of grief and trauma, but we're all in pain on some level. We all have our 9-11. So what would you say to someone, what you've learned? How can someone find that light in whatever challenge they're facing? Well, I mean, it, it comes again. It's, in, it's really shifting perspective, right? It could always be worse. It's bad, but yes, it can always be worse. 
pretty much always. Not all, I mean, there's certain unexplainable situations. Like, I'll never be able to understand the Sandy Hook shootings. That's one I can't find a silver lining in at all. Right. But the truth of it is, it's really about seeing what we have instead of what we don't have. And I, I'll tell you this story. So within a few weeks, I was getting inundated with books and grief pamphlets and just anything under the sun. And I picked up this little pamphlet that was Xerox. And on the back of it, it said, although we've lost so much, we still have so much left. And my little kids, my daughter, my son, Jen and Bill, were seven and four, and they were watching the adults around them completely unglued and this overwhelming, crazy energy they were in and just all the activity and just the chaos, right? And they wanted, you know, little kids want to know they're going to be okay. They're in an egocentric bubble until they're into adolescence. So they just need to know that they're going to be okay. And I tried to keep their life as normal as possible from the day it happened. They went to school. They went to gymnastics. They did all their normal things. But... When I was tucking them in that night, I read them that, that little passage, and their little faces lit up because they could see there was going to be hope. And we've brought Ted along forward. Speaking of Teddy, you know, he's been with us the whole time. And as far as closure goes, I don't really believe in closure. I believe we need to move through grief and that grief has a process. And, you know, as a thumbnail of timing, for me, I would say it's a, two, a very intense two-year window when you have a, a traumatic loss. And the first year is your year of firsts. And the second year is your year that everybody's forgotten about you and you're doing it yourself. And the third year, you kind of come out in a new place, a new normal. Not to say it's going to be easy, but that was more or less how it worked for me. And I just needed to understand a timeline. Like, I'd had no experience with, with any kind of death or beyond a, a grandparent, which was in the normal you know, order. But, you know, so... To what you know, for people with grief right now, grief is a is a necessary process in nature. Pain would not be in nature unless it was necessary. If nature is in perfect balance, right? So, if we look at our pain differently, maybe our pain is the rocket fuel for learning. Maybe the trauma or the experience is actually an opener for us to be open to different ideas and different ways to heal and different thinking. Like that's where my spirituality just came in. I was so open from the experience, and the pain is so much that you just will do anything to get it to stop. The book is The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. If you'd like to learn more about Lisa and her work, you can visit lisaluckett.com. Lisa, I want to thank you so much for taking this time to join us today. As we said, it's been 20 years, and it's really hard to believe that this much time has passed, but I'm really happy that you were here to keep Teddy's memory alive. And, and I'm so sorry for your loss, as I know all of our listeners are as well. And we're sorry for the loss of so many families. And I think it is important to honor those people who gave the ultimate sacrifice that day and finding the light, finding the, the positive in such a situation. It's a challenge for anyone, but I, but I think it's such an important message because it's something that each of us can bring into our lives and help us with no matter what we're going through. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Joan. I'd, I'd love to leave with one last thought. Within a day, couple weeks of 9-11, this, this warrior sense started building within me in my stomach, in my gut. And it wasn't a, an angry warrior. It was a warrior of love. And, the, and what it was was I knew I had to make something good come from 9-11 or the terrorists were going to win. And so I didn't even know what that meant, but I, was set, I set an intention that has brought me to today with you and the idea of finally figuring out the why of everything. 
And so it was the idea was I couldn't let Teddy and all the others die in vain. I had to make something good come from this. And that's how I feel about COVID as well. For all of those that we've lost, we can't let them die in vain. We need to heal from this. We need to grow and be better for it. We need to do to experience what, in fact, was my experience, and, and we all have it available, which is post-traumatic growth. How, what have we learned from our experience? How are we better for having lived it? What is the wisdom we've gained? That's the litmus test that we can ask ourselves after we've been through something difficult, because we're really actually just here to grow. So good luck to everyone out there, and thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.